Clayton. And I'm your Roman Sample veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Good. You know, just plowing through these Bridgertons. <laughs> I know. I know. Now we're on three. We've already done four. This is going to be the longest series you've ever read at eight. Eight Seven. books. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, this one was interesting. We read the, you said this was the third one, An Offer from a Gentleman, which I think is a play on An Officer and a Gentleman, correct? Yes, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's a Cinderella riff. Yeah. Is this the first fairy tale retelling we've read? No, I feel like we've done a Beauty and the Beast before, right? And, and I feel like we've done a Cinderella book before or something like it that you've mentioned that this is kind of a Cinderella thing that I don't think I saw. I don't think I got it. This is like impossible not to <laughs> see that there's elements of Cinderella in this. Yeah. I mean, I love fairy tale retellings. Eloisa James does a lot that I think she had a series that were like very like pointedly um fairy tale retellings that is really really good really well done um so i mean that's the thing that i think is fun about having a series like this that is so long is that you can kind of play with these sort of things within it i would love maybe going forward for us to start reading more series because i think the thing that starts happening is like they really do build on each other a good series obviously really does build on each other um like new species like new species. I mean, uh, yeah, we need to get, we need to go back to the species. Those are are my favorite. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty. I know. The thing about new species is there are so many that reading all those in a row, I do think, would be too much. Like oh, I no. like if we just we sprinkle species. Them. Yeah, we got to sprinkle it throughout the year. Um, but yeah, you're right. Well, anyway, so we've been dancing around it. So we read an offer from a gentleman. Like we said, it is the third book in the series. It is Benedict's book. He's the second oldest brother and Sophie. Um, Let's judge a cover. So the one I had was the one with the shoe on it. Two have a shoe. So the 2015 edition is the newest. It's the one that now on the Kindle has the little seal that says like now a Bridgerton, a series coming to Netflix. Um, on it as well. And so it's pretty. It's blue. There's a tiny little high-heeled shoe with a bow. Mm-hmm. Julia Quinn, big, big letters in white. The the cover, the um, title in white. Here's the thing. I, I get that this is a Cinderella story. So the shoe, I think, is great signaling in that way. It looks like a romance. It's pretty. It's a very pretty cover. But, but she doesn't lose a shoe. She loses a glove. A glove. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of me is like, oh, I would have liked to see the glove, but I get it. You know? I think a singular glove on the ground either evokes Michael Jackson or OJ. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It would be a white glove. Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I so mean, maybe not So an offer from that gentleman is way different. We don't. We all saw that documentary. We don't want any of his offers. Um, so, so yeah. So I think that's why I think it is, like you said, to really play with the Cinderella thing. I, and it, I, I can. It's fine. I mean, I'm not upset about it. I do think it is kind of funny that the, the shoe is not involved. But you couldn't. I think it'd be just too on the nose to do a shoe. Oh, in the story? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And then she what, walks home with one shoe. Well, the whole thing is also the shoe is what betrays her in the end with Araminta. Yeah. Her stepmother, because she borrows her stepmother's shoes and scuffs them. And her stepmother is like psychotic about shoes. And Makes then the... Um, clean all the shoes. <laughs> the 2019 edition is the same picture, just a little bit pulled back. Julia Quinn in an offer from a gentleman is in pink. It's fine. I don't understand the point of the re-release because I'm like, oh, we nailed it with this one too. Well, you gotta, you gotta just get that money. You gotta just release it as many times as possible because <laughs> isn't there gonna be? I think there's, there's, there's already for the first book, 
a, f- a cast photo cover. Yeah, with Simon and, and Daphne. And then they're going to do that. I mean, if the show continues, they're going to do that for every subsequent volume, I would assume. Right. So, yeah, we'll get the re-releases. That's what they did with Outlander. Sort of every series of Outlander is the next book in the series. And so, yeah, you had the first Outlander. And then as it goes, you get, like, the re-release of each edition. I I don't know if... But I'm sure that will happen with this. Because, like, why wouldn't you just create tie-in stuff? But, I mean, I don't know if now is the time to reveal it. But, like, there is a secret that, like, this... That Benedict in the show is going to be like drastically different than benedict in the books um so we'll see because the big thing about the bridgetons i think is it's inspired by and not based on is the thing that people are noticing so who knows sort of how like what form that will take if it's sort of like well these are the characters that you know and love and they're gonna have just like completely different adventures or you know what I mean? It, it, who knows? Um, and then finally, the original edition, the 2001, is it's like a yellow, a pale yellow brocade with Julia Quinn, an offer from a gentleman. This in the O of the offer is uh, a fancy shoe again. Um, anyway, Clayton, what was this book about? So this book was about, I mean, it's Cinderella. Um, <laughs> Sophie. Beckett is the daughter of an earl, but not really, uh, right? She's the daughter of an earl. Well, her parents weren't married, so she's like a bastard. And so that's a illegitimate. So that's like a big deal for them. So, but, okay, so she's a bastard and she's looked upon that way by her wicked stepmother who is only keeping her around because she's getting more money in order to do that. Uh, she uh, she meets Benedict Bridgerton, and you can tell he is the second oldest because his name starts with a B, <laughs> at a masquerade ball. So uh, Lady Bridgerton's masquerade ball, which this book is so tropey. We'll get to it, uh, but there's so many tropes in this book. And falls in love with her. She leaves behind a glove. He is searching for her. She gets hidden from him out of spite when he comes looking because he assumes that it's uh, one of... He he knows it's not one of uh, the, the two real daughters. But when he comes a-call-in, she is locked in a closet. And then eventually okay well i'm getting to too much of the plot (laughs) he he's searching for her while he's falling in love with sophie when he gets sophie to work for his family and then eventually figures out it's her wants to have her not as his bride but as his mistress and asks a lot of times if she will be his mistress and she keeps saying no and then eventually they end up together is that a good summation? Yeah. What did you what did you think of this book? I liked it. I will say I'm not a huge fairy tale retelling guy. Mm-hmm. Because I understand like people like these stories and these stories are very sort of primal for us as a culture, because who doesn't know Cinderella? Who doesn't know Sleeping Beauty. Who doesn't know? Even like something like A Christmas Carol. It, 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 you know what it smacks of to me is like every sitcom had to do a Christmas Carol riff. Yeah. Because it's just an easy Christmas time thing to do. And, and I by no means want to say that this was like julia quinn being lazy because it's not and i know people are going to pull that quote and it's going to be the headline of all the of all the romance blogs clayton says julia quinn is lazy see i just did it again they're going to be able to pull this audio i should stop doing that (laughs) but i feel like she obviously 
likes the Cinderella story. So it's not a laziness thing. But to me, I just wasn't a huge fan of it. Now, I did like the book because I just think Julia Quinn is very readable no matter what, like, so far that I've read of hers. It's, like, very fun and readable. But I'm not a huge fan of these fairy tale riffs. I like to say I'm not a huge fan of fairy tale riffs. We've read, I think, like, maybe one. <laughs> but I think... Yeah, I, I think it, if it's for you or it's not for you, like, that makes sense. I feel like when I heard sort of the changes that they were possibly going to be making to Benedict's story for the series, for the sh- the show, I was like, I get it. I think I always felt like this just wasn't the strongest book in the series always. It, and... um which is not to say that it's a bad book, though, because it's like, I don't know. It's like Usain Bolt's the slowest he ever ran a race is still like insanely fast. Yes. So it's like that sort of thing. Like this is still a very well written, very readable, very enjoyable book. But when you start stacking it against her other books that are so big, and I think especially reading it right after The Viscount Who Loved Me, which I think is such a fantastic book that is doing so much interesting work and has so many layers and is really a really beautiful character study about grief and all of these really big subjects. And then I think you come to this book next and it's just sort of like, oof, it feels kind of like a stopping point. I think Sophie in this book is a great character. She, you, you fall in love with her as Benedict does. I think she, she seems really fantastic. Benedict, just as far as hero goes, I just could never get behind him. I never understood what his big, you know, because in, in every romance, basically, each character is broken in some sort of way. And then they come together and the other person's brokenness sort of they're able to heal. And, and that's sort of like what be, is the relationship becomes. And Benedict's brokenness was that he was like bummed that he looked too much like his two incredibly handsome brothers and that his family loved him too much. Um, Well, I think there was a second best situation because he's referred to as the second Bridgerton brother, like as in not as hot as Colin. Oh, I don't think I read that it was that he wasn't as hot as Colin. I mean, I thought they just kept calling him the second because he was like the the second born. And it didn't seem like he had a grudge, like he wanted to be the Viscount or, or he wanted Anthony's anything. Like he also did seem like fairly solitary. His thing was that he was a, a like a, a painter, or like an artist, but he didn't want to show his family, which also didn't make any sense to me because I'm like, this is a very like loving and encouraging family. And it seems weird. I mean, people hide aspects of themselves for whatever reason, but it ju- I'm like, I just am not understanding how this is something that he feels like he needs to hide because also it's like as a second brother as like the spare it seems like him being an artist feels like something that's like very like yeah that sounds like something that an incredibly wealthy man with no responsibilities could do (laughs) pretty easily and like be fine so I just felt like Sophie is a fairly strong person with a very like sunny outlook and very resilient and you 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 get her and I feel like with Be- you just Benedict never felt like an actual full character to me and then he did too many things that were just like a little bit fucked up that I was like I don't know about this man I mean ultimately they do end up together which is obviously I'm happy for I'd be raging in the streets if they weren't but um <laughs> you know but the, I, I think it's like, I think it is hard where it's like, I don't know if this was just a standalone book, if we would just not be as critical of it. But because it is sandwiched between like two really, really fantastic books, um, it, then it sort of falls flat. And also the next book, we have Colin, who's a writer who doesn't want to show his writing. So I'm like, what is with all of these <laughs> people in this very loving family? Everyone is hiding their talents their creativity yeah um well okay i agree i'm not a fan of benedict so i'm not here to like stand for benedict but what i will say is the thing about being not anthony which is the oldest brother so he Mm -hmm. is the first and then 
there's so many other kids and he's not the ba- he's not one of the babies. So he is in a weird situation. Like he's the second kid, so it's not as exciting as the first. And then and then she just starts rattling off kids. So it's like he is loved and stuff, but I could see him feeling like he is kind of in this weird limbo as to what he actually is. Now, the issue with that is that he's still rich as fuck. (laughs) And I don't think classism was given as much thought as it is now when these books were written. And there is an element there because Sophie is a bastard and she, one of the reasons why she doesn't want to get involved with Benedict is because she knows how high society works and she doesn't think that any situation with him will work. And so there is some classism tackled in this book, but obviously he's still rich as fuck. And then she ends up getting, uh, having money anyway. So, of course, because it's happily ever after. But I do think there is that that is Benedict's struggle. Now, did I relate to his struggle? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and his constant beating the drum of be my mistress, be my mistress is not insanely romantic. That was the thing, too. I mean, with the classes stuff, it's like, obviously, yes, reading this in a 2020 lens, looking back, it seems so silly. I get that it was a different time. I get sort of within the confines of you know, whatever sort of multi like universe all romance is written in, that that is a construct that is a rule. Um, And so that that makes sense to me. And it's something that I'm like, I don't love that he feels like he's better than her because his parents were married, which feels arbitrary Um, or that he has more money than her. And therefore she is not able to have this sort of aspect of his life. But I, I I got it. But I think it was also, it's like, I think it's the part of wealth that we also are, just don't like in this country in general, or you and I just don't like, I guess we can't speak for the country. But it's this idea that like, his inability to sympathize with her or to see where she is coming from, I think is the part that I was like, wanted Sophie better for Sophie because that, you know, he offered her to be his mistress and he couldn't understand why that was such a horrible thing for her. And Mm -hmm. he never tried to investigate why other than he's like, I really want to fuck you. And I feel like if you're my mistress, then we can like fuck as much as you want. And, and there's no problem and I'll give you a house and I'll give you jewels and you won't have to work. And so like, wouldn't that be perfect? And she rebuffs him and he's never like, okay, well, let me examine why this person is not interested in this like very specific life. Um, he was just sort of like, no, she's rejecting me instead of like, no, she's rejecting the offer that you gave her, which is like kind of bullshit. Um you know, and there were plenty of women who, like, did decide that that life was for them and that's what they wanted to do. And, like, you know, more power and to no them. Shame. I think that's great. But no I think shame. it's, like... No, yeah, It's hard no out shame. there. Yeah. I And I think that's the part that... it ne- Like, that never happened. Like, Benedict never, I felt like, saw things from Sophie's point of view. And he was always such a battling ram against her. Where I don't doubt that she had feelings for him. I don't doubt that he even had feelings for her. But it seems like there was such a weird emotional block with him where he could never be like, well, I try to understand what she was saying. He would basically like, you know, seduce her, make out with her, you know, have sex with her on his couch. And then she would say, I don't want to, I still don't want to be your mistress. And then he would just like not see her for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. He also did, like, weird manipulation shit where he, like, forced her to come back to London where she was uncomfortable and forced her to – but I didn't force her, but, like, had her work in his mother's house so that she was still close. Um, 
but never recognized the 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 privilege in that and never recognized why like you kind of don't do that to people and I get it's a book and if she wasn't close there would be no book (laughs) and you know what I mean so there's an aspect of that that is necessary and I loved all the scenes with her in Bridgerton House and her with Violet and her with the his sisters like I obviously I thought all of that was really really wonderful so like I'm happy that that ultimately happened but I think even if it still happened the way that it did, I just wish that at some point he had been like, oh, wow, I really put you in a in a tough situation and I apologize or something. Um, yeah, because the thing with these with these books is I, 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 we don't we don't need our heroes to be perfect the whole time. But mm-hmm. I do think they need to reach a certain level that he didn't reach. Right, because it's like, I I can't forgive a hero anything. Like, obviously, there are lines that are crossed. You can't uncross. But I think Mm -hmm. I'll forgive a lot if at some point he's like, oh, I realized how messed up that was or or I feel bad about it. We're like we're in Benedict's point of view quite a bit. And he never feels bad or shame or like, oh, I really shouldn't have done that or it was unfair that I did that. He just seems to get very angry with Sophie when she, like, reasonably says she doesn't want to be his mistress. When she reasonably says, like, I don't want to have, ch- like, bastard children. I know what that's like. And I and I can't do that to a child. Um, when she, Like, what other things does she say? Oh, when he finds out that she's the, the woman in silver that he met at the masquerade, he's angry with her about it. And yeah. I'm just like, I could do without all the anger coming with Benedict and the storming off and the hanging and then the coming back two weeks later. It's like. But see, you you love a brat, but you don't like a male brat. I guess that's true. I feel like because so many men are just naturally brats that I'm like, I don't need to start cranking it up. And I feel like when a woman is a brat, it's like she's defying society's expectations and she's standing up for herself and she's she's really self-possessed. Men are that way. What I loved about this book, too, is I feel like this is the first book where, like, Violet, um, the mother of all the Bridgertons, is really highlighted. And you sort of get a little bit more about her backstory. And um, and she really shines in this book in a way that I really love. Because, you know, Sophie, when she leaves her step... Like, basically, Benedict comes with the glove t- to their home, to Penwood House, to try to find the woman that he met and then Mm -hmm. armita who's an incredibly intelligent woman figures out that it was sophie who went to the ball because because sophie was raised with the servants they all really love her they want her to have this moment and so they sort of dress her up and and send her to the ball um and because of that uh armita throws her out of the house with nothing she has been working for the family for six years has never been paid so Sophie steals the shoe clips, which I'm like, yeah, this sounds great. Steal from this woman. Like, fuck her. And um, so then when um, Araminta sees her again, she throws her into prison. And that's sort of when the big moment of the book happens. Benedict shows up and Lady Bridgerton shows up and they do all these sort of like social maneuvers to get her to basically drop all the charges and Posey um sophie's stepsister who was the one who was kindest to her yeah uh ends up going home with them because of how cruel her mother is i really liked the sophie posey relationship i thought it was very interesting and it felt like a very true relationship and like posey wasn't it's a really interesting um story about you know growing up with a mean mom and a cruel mother because posey was still seeking her mother's approval constantly, even though she knew treating um, Sophie cruelly was wrong and didn't ever want to do it. But she would because she felt like she had to for her mother's love and was really put in this awful situation. And I thought that it was a really interesting study in that. Um, And also that Sophie was able to see that, like, no, Posey is a good person, but she has this she's just trying to find familial love with her her mother and her sister her two cruel people and they and sophie and posey end up growing very close which i really liked um and and posey sort of is also able to escape that toxic home which is good Um, yeah the 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 wicked stepmother trope 
um, obviously she's she. That's the thing is like, like you said, she's she's smart and cruel, which is a horrible combination. <laughs> right. It's way better for a dumb person to be cruel because they're way easier to maneuver. Yeah. And also it's like, you know, I think that there's this like canonization of mothers and it's like, yeah, there are people who should not be mothers. There are people who are bad at it. There are people who become mothers so that they have someone to manipulate. And nice. That's the quote. Now that's the big quote. <laughs> um, Aaron so, says some people shouldn't be mothers. I mean, some people shouldn't be mothers. I mean, that can be like a straight up quote. I do think I don't think motherhood is for everybody. <laughs> I don't um, think, and I agree. I don't think fatherhood is for everybody either. I mean, we, yeah. it's, I mean, <laughs> the, the stats are out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's something that, like, I don't, I think it's something that isn't spoke, talked about enough. I have friends who had truly toxic mothers that they had to really separate themselves from. And even now, they have a lot of guilt about that, but these were people who just did not have their best interest in heart at heart, who were cruel and who were manipulative and who would not have allowed their children to grow into the people that they are today because of their own toxicity and their own issues. And I think that there's this idea that like, oh, it's my family, they have to be my family forever. And I just don't believe that. I think if people are treating you cruelly or if people aren't allowing you to grow or if people are, you know, mean you don't need those people in your life and I think like separating from your parents or taking a break from your parents if that's something that's necessary I think that that's okay and I think there's this weird societal thing about how you as a child are a failure if you don't if you don't have a relationship with your parents or something but it's I think it's necessary and I also think it's more common than you think like, I can think of a few people I know who just don't have relationships with their parents for various reasons, and it is the most healthy option. Um, so, yeah, I think Posey never speaking to her mother again, I think is, like, valid, and she probably shouldn't and probably has a much happier life um, because she's able to have that separation. But then there are wonderful mothers like Lady Bridgerton, and I think she's somebody who was clearly, like, meant to be a mother and takes the role of motherhood incredibly seriously. Um she better and, be. She has eight kids, right? I know. And she wants to be. And I think that the overall thing with her and why you fall in love with her and why no matter what sort of weird machinations she does, you you love her is because she ultimately the most important thing to her is her children's happiness above all else. And she wants all of her kids to get married, I think, because she had a wonderful marriage to their father and loved him very much. And it seems like it was like soulmates. And she wants all of her children to have that feeling as well. So I think it's like, you know, you sort of roll your eyes like, oh, she wants wants them all married. Like, you know, that seems silly and uh, very like Mrs. Bennett. But instead, it's like, no, it's coming from a real place of, of love. So I really fell in love with Violet in this book. But you have an example of a toxic mother and you have an example of like a really wonderful mother who supports her children and wants what's best for her children. So here's the here's the big question. I have a feeling I'm going to know the answer to it. (laughs) Would you fuck them? I mean, ultimately, yes and yes. I mean, but I think he's so handsome. He seems very handsome. And he does seem like, and I don't know if it's just that like he and Sophie are definitely, it's like love at first sight. And there was a lot of sexual tension between the two of them. So I don't know if it's just that like, because of that amount of sexual like attraction and attention, he seems like he'd be really good in bed, but he does. He's my, he's the least fuckable Bridgerton brother, but that still makes him very fuckable. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's true. So then, then I guess I know your answers going forward. Yeah, but we're going to start reading about Bridgerton's sisters, so that'll change. Oh, well, I mean, but you'll still maybe fuck some of them. Oh, yeah, probably. And then Sophie, yeah. I mean, Sophie is just talked about as the most beautiful woman in the world. And she just seems like a great personality, too. Like, I think I would also just want to, like, hang out with her. She seems great. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely fuck Sophie. (sighs) Benedict, I don't know. I mean... I don't think I would. I know he's super handsome. I mean, I'm just not feeling it. Mm-hmm. Maybe ask me next week. Okay. 
But, uh, but yeah, probably not. Okay. Yeah. I like to save that for, for special heroes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Benedict is the first hero that we've read that fell flat, even though we liked the book. Because there's definitely been books where we hated the hero, but the whole book seemed like a mess. But, like, this is a good book, and just the hero wasn't strong. Yeah. And, I mean, again, it's, what, eight books? Yeah. And that's not giving anybody any sort of, like, leeway because of that. But there's going to be books that are not as good as the other ones, or the ones not as good. I'm not saying not as good. um, We didn't enjoy as much. This very much could be your favorite Bridgerton. I don't know, because I'm not hooked into the community. Obviously, we'll get emails whether or not this is their fave. Mm -hmm. It's only that so many of these books are so absolutely like top tier fantastic that then when you have a book that is just like, you know, if all of the books are A plus and then you get a B plus book, it's still a very good book. But it's like you're like, oh, well, this isn't matching up. But it doesn't mean it's a bad book. Should we do Goodreads lists? Let's do it. Obviously, on a ton of lists, I could not put on every list, so I just picked a few that I thought were interesting. So we're going to start with Best Historical Romance, Where the Quiet, Unusual Girl Gets the Guy. I mean, God, is she unusual? I think she's not the typical heroine. I think a lot of times in these books, especially, it's funny because I feel like more the Victorian romances you can have more class differences and you can have more, you know, people working their way up from the bottom and and not everyone is a duke in the way that I feel like in Regency romances, it's always the dukes and classes and the marriage mart and all of that, which is, I think, why I enjoy Victorian romances so much. But I think, so unusual, yeah, I think in Regencies you would have maybe less heroines that are born on the wrong side of the blanket, which is a euphemism they use. Mm. <laughs> born on the wrong side of the blanket. I got to use that. <laughs> um, you know, in the chat rooms. I know. We do need to start a Discord. Guys, I'm going to do it. It's on my list. It's, uh, yeah. Well, and now's the time to do it because Mercury's gone direct, so we could do more stuff around communication and have it not be messed up. Well, you didn't tell me that, so of course this is the time to do it. Um, my favorite historical romance, favorite spelled O-U-R. Oh, fancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess across the pond, they do things a little differently. I, I could see that. I mean, I don't, I it wouldn't be mine, but I could see that for somebody. Like I said, everybody has their own Bridgerton, I think. Yeah. I think when it's something like my favorite, it's like, well, it is your favorite or it isn't your favorite. And if it is your favorite, it should be on the list. Um, and this could be the first. Here's the thing. This could be someone's first romance. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's going to always have that place in their heart. Yeah. Um, best humorous historical romances. You know, Julia Quinn is always humor. Like, there's always a good sense of humor to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if out of the three books of hers I've read, this has been the funniest. I mean, I did like, you know, I do like the stuff at the uh, at the um, jail was fun. Right. The next category is witty historical romances, which I think is this is this is the same. Like, I think Julia Quinn naturally writes in a very witty and clever style. So, well, yeah, this wasn't one of the funnier books. It still had those moments that I thought were, like, interesting turn of phrases or was, like, funny. If somebody's like, oh, I want to read a funny a funny historical romance, I don't know if I would necessarily point them to this book. But I do think it was, like, witty and very clever and there were good jokes in there. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cinderella retellings. Well, obviously, yeah. I I've mean, loved- even to mm-hmm. the to the point where... She she had to leave by midnight because the carriage needed to take her before it went back for the others. Yeah. It's cute. I like those little nods. I think it's like, you know, I, I enjoy it. Um, I've loved you for years. Yes. Most reread romances. 
I mean, if you're talking about the Bridgertons in general, I would say, yeah, of course. I feel like these are books people reread over and over again. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I mean, I've read it twice. And I think it is a sort of thing like you would go back and read the whole series. So, yeah, I think so. Um, Best book boyfriends. I'd say no. Mm -hmm. No, take that off the list. Come on. Be better. Be better. (laughs) Right. Anthony, Colin. Listen, it's sandwiched right there. I get why... um, Benedict has an inferiority complex because he's a little bit inferior. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes your inferiority complex is for a good reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's rooted in truth. Um, All right. Illegitimate heroes and heroines in historical romance. Yes, she is illegitimate. Class differences in historical romance. Yeah. Art lover, hero or heroine artist. So he's an... He's an artist, but that isn't like a big aspect of his personality or even really the book. But yes. Do you think he's a, as good of a painter? Like his painting quality is like George W. Bush. <laughs> like those those paintings of his feet in the bathtub. We totally forgot. I know there's been so much going on in the country, but let's not forget about that. <laughs> let's not forget about George W. Bush is now a painter. And paints, everything is just like a little off. Yeah. Um. Possibly. I mean, he's never studied and he did keep it secret for a long time. But no, she says that he's very good at like capturing people's essences and things like that. So you mean he's never studied it as in he's never studied anything. Benedict? No, no. George W. Bush. Oh, <laughs> I'm really zinging this guy. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> Okay, art lover, hero, or heroine artist. I just did that one. Art, you just did that one. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's so it's so early, and I did not sleep last week. I just watched the news, and no one should watch that much news. It's too much news. Um, yeah. Oh, Clayton, you don't know what I did on Twitter. I did a thing on Twitter where I matched different um, MSNBC and CNN anchors to the romance novel that I thought they most represented. That's great. I had way too much fun with it. And then and then after the election was called, people kept like messaging like, do this person, do this person. I'm like, I can't think about these anchors anymore. I can't think about the news. Yeah, these anchors don't matter anymore. I spent too much time. They did their service. Well, also, it's like, I don't watch cable news that often. I watch um, my second husband, David Muir, whenever chance I get. He's the most handsome anchor there ever was. Um, But I don't really watch, like, CNN or anything. So people were also telling me people that were anchors on CNN that I had, like, never heard of. That I was like, all right, yeah, let's do this. Um, People love Jake Tapper, is what I learned, too. Because I didn't do him in the original run, and there was upset. People were upset. People were DMing me. Where's Jake? So... I had to do him. Yeah, I don't have access, so. But but good for you. I'm glad. I'm glad people enjoyed your tweets. Thank I you said that in a sarcastic like way that but I'm going to thank you for it anyway because it did bring me so much joy for a few hours during a week where I, my eyes were bleeding that I appreciated. I do think saying I'm glad people enjoyed your <laughs> tweets is is like a shitty thing to say. I apologize. Yeah. Well, you had a tone. There was a there was an edge to it that I didn't appreciate. No, I'm glad you're out there reaching out to people and you're engaging. I'm bad at that. Yeah, you are. Um, you know, if we if we ever do, here's the thing. I feel like if we ever did a live show, that would be my element. We already did. I mean, a real live show, like with people there in the audience. So I could go shake their hands like Jay Leno at the beginning of his show. (laughs) Uh, All right. Bad boys meet the virgins. Is he a bad boy? I mean, he's bad. He's not bad in a fun way. Yeah, because he's at this like debaucherous orgy filled. And it's funny because they were just like everything smells of tobacco and uh and old booze and i was like and let's be serious opium would also be at this party but we didn't say it it was 2001 we couldn't talk about opium um 
And he leaves because it's too much for him. Like, I would definitely not say Benedict is a bad boy. And also, he comes upon Sophie while she's, like, about to be raped by his fr- by his three friends. And he, like, takes her home with him, not, like, just to give her a job, just to get her out of a bad situation. Like, there's nothing, there's no ulterior motive for him at the beginning. So I also think, like, he seems like a very good guy. Uh, men I wish were real. No, no, I don't. Benedict doesn't need to be real. There's enough Benedicts out there. <laughs> I know there's more men that I feel like if we're bringing romance heroes to life, I think there's I'd have a list, I think, before Benedict. Uh, yeah. Favorite Dukeless historical romances. Yeah, no Dukes. I, that's what I do like about the Bridgerton series is he's like a Viscount, which is like a thing, but it's not like a Duke or something. I think you get too high in that sort of like hierarchy that it just becomes like a little bit silly. So I like that it's like, no, they're like, they're, it's like, they're still, um, what is it called? Gentry or, you know, they're still in the mix, but they're not at the top of the pile. It's their charis, it's their charisma and their good looks and sort of who they are that makes them so uh, important, such an important family, not necessarily the title, which I yeah. really enjoy. Um, raunchy historical romance novels. What? Why? Why would this be? Because the other, the other ones that we've read, I don't think were on that list. Correct? I don't remember. But yeah, I wouldn't why say that would this, this is sp- particularly raunchy. raunchy. Yeah, there's raunchier, but yeah. Know. If this is raunchy, then I, I don't think you have read some of the shit we've read. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think there are, like, sexier... And not that this isn't sexy or that the sex is... The sex is, like, fine. It's not crazy, but it's, like, you know, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, disguises in romance. Oh, yeah. Masquerade Imp- ball, baby. Impoverished heroines. Y- yeah. I mean, yes. Servant heroes, heroines, and romance. She's a servant, yeah. She is a servant. Historical romance heroines with abusive families. Yep. Yes. Even her father, like at the end when she's like, oh, my father did give me a dowry. I guess he did love me. And I was like, no, he's still a piece of shit. Like, (laughs) fuck that guy. That's exactly what we were talking about before. It's like, that's such a breadcrumb. I know. It's like, take his money. A hundred percent take his money. But But don't think he loves you. Not that he didn't love her. Like, maybe he did. He's very repressed in English and whatever. I don't it's I don't find that to be an excuse for what he did. Um, and it doesn't, if you still have bad feelings towards him, like continue with those bad feelings, like fuck them. Yeah. Um, best siblings in literature. Yeah. They're just talking about the Bridgertons. In, in general. Yeah. Yeah. And then historical romance is spares, not heirs. Oh, I like that. That's a clever list. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. She's a spare. All right. So those that was all of our lists. And Clayton, what are your tropes? So my tropes are poor heroine, rich hero. I'm in love with you, but don't know that it's you. <laughs> um, masquerade ball, evil parent. Here, heroine is hero's servant in a way. Mm-hmm. And loving family because the Bridgertons are a loving family yeah which is a a rarity in romance as you as we see in this book yeah I think like the rarest family in romance is like parents who are still together who love their child it's like Sarah's parents had that in um dreaming of you but it's like normally it's like one parent or the other or you know what I mean it's it's rare that you get you know, both like two loving parents. Yes. Um, what is, oh, Cinderella riff, obviously. Yeah. Aaron, what are your tropes? All right. So I have, uh, love at first sight. Cause they like love each other immediately. I did love the, that a character trait of Benedict is that he's like a little bit psychic <laughs> or that he has these feelings before big moments in his life that he knows is going to be a big moment. Um, which I really 
loved. So sort of like the day that his father dies, he, he, he gets this feeling. And the day that he meets Sophie, he gets this feeling. And I think that's like cool. Anyway, so love at first sight. Um, fairy tale retelling, mistaken identity, class difference, big families, not recognizing lover, which mm. when we did Earl Takes All by Lorraine Heath with our guest Sarah McLean, she talked about how that is a trope in romance where like the the hero and the heroine always recognize each other no matter what. And so this was another sort of like flipping it on its head that like Benedict just had only seen the lower half of her face and didn't know who she was sickbed romance she nurses him back to health that's um, right when he's sick and i do like that was a great moment too also because like she didn't know what to do and i feel like so often in these books they're like i've taken care of so many people i'm an excellent doctor and she was kind of like listen i got nothing <laughs> i'm gonna try to use my common sense and we're gonna try to get through the night um and she does and i really liked that and all those scenes where they were at my cottage his like country home with Mr. and Mrs. Crabtree, I really, really loved. And I do feel like that did a great job of setting them up moving forward. Um, and you saw that sort of when they did fall like deeper in love. So A plus. Um, someone swimming naked and the other person coming upon them. Love it. It's it's in all kinds, it's all kinds of books. Every time it's joyful and I love it. Um, be my mistress running away from the hero, and then poor little rich boy. All right, Clayton, so what has you swooning? Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's not for everyone, I don't (laughs) think. But Matthew McConaughey's memoir slash philosophy book called Green Lights. You know, I'm I'm a McConaughey apologist. I think he's just completely watchable in everything that he is in. He's had some bad movies. He's made some weird decisions. After reading this book, I understand why. I I will say I do like his philosophy on life as, as much as it's easy to make fun of. I do enjoy reading aspects. Like, I like reading books about people who are not neurotic. And I do think he thinks about things. I'm not saying that he's not uh, somebody who thinks about things. I just think maybe he doesn't wring his hands as much as maybe I do. Mm -hmm. And I like reading those kind of things because it gets you out of your mindset a little bit. Now, I will be honest with this book. There is some like, like his upbringing was not great, and there is some like domestic violence aspects to it that are kind of like unsettling. Like I don't want to say don't read it, but like definitely if it's something that you are uncomfortable with, don't read it. But a lot of his stories other than that are very interesting. And he like puts in some of his favorite bumper stickers because he loves bumper stickers. <laughs> it's an art book, guys. buy the the hardcover definitely because I'm telling you it's the softest it's the softest book I've ever touched like like physically? physically like you touch the texture of the cover is like so weird and soft that it almost is like I have a hard time not touching it even though I don't want to touch it because it feels weird it's very hard Anybody who has the hardcover version of Green Lights by uh, Matthew McConaughey, please email us or or Facebook, whatever. Communicate with us and, and tell me I'm not crazy because it is so weird feeling. <laughs> I like it, but I don't like it. It's uh-huh. unsettling, which I think is what it's supposed to be. Because, well, yeah, you know, sounds- yeah. that's how the books, that's how you want your book to be. It's like unsettling to touch. <laughs> But you definitely need to get the hardcover. Don't get the Kindle. I really think this it loses something if you have the Kindle version. All right. Listen. Because on the back it says just keep living in like his cursive. And then Do the you front want that as cover, a tattoo? I mean, I'm gonna think about it. Mm-hmm. If I ever get a tattoo, that'll be the one. Yeah, definitely. I'll bring the back of that book and be like, just do this. <laughs> on my face yeah yeah 
so you never forget it. But uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, that is my uh, my swoon in my new Bible. <laughs> so Aaron, what, what has you swooning? Yeah. So my I wasn't sure what to swoon about this week other than, you know, because I didn't read much or consume much media other than the news. Um, but then I realized that I did. And uh, something that I really love. So um, there is a comedian, Chelsea Rose Devantes. And so if you're not following her on Instagram, she's fantastic. And sort of something that she did during quarantine was she would read these celebrity memoirs. And then on her Instagram, she would sort of like tell you highlights and sort of review the memoirs. Then she has turned this into a podcast um, called Celebrity Book Club. It's really, really good. So, so far she has done Mariah Carey and she has done Demi Moore. um, Both of their biographies. I read Demi Moore's. I read Demi Moore's book. Yeah. I mean, it's she really loved it. I might want to read it, too. I, I was um, underwhelmed. Okay. Well, I think... Uh, but it's a really, really fun podcast because I also love celebrity memoirs. I do find them very silly, but, like, very readable, too, I think, because I also love gossip. And... Um, what I love about it, too, it's like a lot of times these celebrities like Demi Moore, like Mariah Carey, are women who really other people have told their story so many times. You think you sort of know what it is. And I do think there's a lot of power in claiming your story. I mean, obviously, Mariah Carey and Demi Moore both use ghostwriters. But I think that having that amount of input into your own story, I think is really, really important. And it's just like kind of really fun. And it's an easy podcast to listen to, especially like the news right now gets very heavy. It's obviously very important to stay in touch with everything that's going on. But sometimes you do need a break. And I think it's a really fun break. And her guests are really fantastic. So I would say um, the Celebrity Book Club podcast. Well, Erin, where can they find us? So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. It's how people find us. If you can write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts, we always really, really appreciate it. I I will say, people ask, how can I support the show? That's how you can support the show right now. Mm -hmm. The more ratings we get, the more listeners we get, and the more ability we will get to expand this show and do fun things. So take take a moment, five star review, Write a little something if you want to. If you are not comfortable writing reviews or you don't know what to say, just say, great show. <laughs> or don't write anything at all. It, you know, that's the thing. Is like, I get that way. There's a there's a podcast that I really like that I, I'm, I'm thinking of reviewing, and I'm like, what should I write? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what? Right now, I just five-starred it, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to write, and I could go back and write the review. But right now, I'm giving them those stars because that's important um email us at learning the tropes podcast at gmail.com um you know email us recommendations who's your favorite bridgerton uh we are on twitter at learning tropes we are on instagram at learning the tropes we are we have the facebook group the learning the tropes troop so come join us there we also you know if i can get my act together might have a discord soon as well um we have merch if you want to check out the link below like we said the holidays are coming and they are good gifts for the whole family um the next episode is to sir philip with love um by julia quinn we are having our special guest our dear friend sarah mclean is going to join us to talk about that book um we already did romancing mr bridgerton like we mentioned at the top i think clayton is going to re-release that so you're going to have it all in order if you want to check that one out before um and then finally learning the tropes is part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcasts all right bye guys Bye.